overcoming self-doubt is really a matter of being willing to part with that comfort and that safety that the perfectionism gives you and acknowledging that that's why you're keeping the perfectionism, not because you want to be perfect, but you're keeping it because it's keeping you in that safe, competent zone. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MDA National Junior Doctor Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dana and I am your host. Today, we have the wonderful Dr. Beck, who is a medical registrar currently locuming and also a self-doubt coach. So I'm sure a lot of you would have uh, going through medical school or even um, through your careers right now will have moments of self-doubt probably more often than not. And also a lot of us who got into medicine tend to have type A personality or have um, perfectionistic tendencies. Now, Dr. Beck, I was just wondering how is self-doubt and perfectionism related to each other? Oh, Dana, I just want to say, I feel like you've hit the nail on the head there. And I think that's some of our most vulnerable, um, honest conversations when we talk about our self-doubt. But for the most part, we we really hold it close to our chest, especially um, I've had a lot of contact with med students lately and we really try and feel like we're holding it all together. And I feel like I'm constantly telling my students and my juniors that I don't have it together. None of us really have it together. It's a bit of a facade and just trying to remind people that it's all very normal. So thank you for being another voice normalizing that for us. So your question was how are self-doubt and perfectionism related? So with how we commonly misunderstand perfectionism, when we think that people with perfectionism are just perfect people who line up all the ducks and do everything perfectly all the time, these two things kind of seem incompatible because we think that we solve the problem of self-doubt by being perfect. But actually, the problem of perfectionism, perfectionism is the reason why brilliant, capable, successful people have this sabotaging self-doubt, despite their reality and all their successes. It's the reason why our competence doesn't translate into confidence as it should. And really, these perfectionistic thought errors, these patterns that we practice thinking so often, they are the fuel that perpetuates, it precipitates and it perpetuates our self-doubt. So no matter what we achieve, no matter what heights we climb to, as long as we hold on to our perfectionism, then we will always feel this self-doubt. I think you could also assume that people who are perfectionistic have self-doubt because they set high expectations. I think that's another common misconception about what perfectionism is and isn't because high expectations isn't something that defines perfectionism. A lot of amazing, successful, otherwise happy and um, ambitious people have high expectations and they don't have those underlying issues of perfectionism. It's not the expectations, but it's for a perfectionist, it's what we make it mean when we don't meet our expectations. So somebody who's just an ambitious high achiever, they can fail and not go into a slump about it. Somebody who's a perfectionist, when they don't meet their expectations, they will turn that around on themselves. They will draw a verdict about what this means about their capability. They'll make it mean that they're inadequate. And we will go off and catastrophize into the future and say that we'll never be good enough and we'll, we'll never make it and we should just stop trying now. 
That was a really good definition. I mean, I thought I knew what perfectionism meant, but you packaged it in a really good and easy way to understand. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And it's really important to me because I, I don't want my clients or anyone I come across to lower their expectations. I think that's what people often think they need to do. And sure, lowering your expectations might reduce some of your self-doubt and it might bring you a bit more peace. But then you're just left with this different unsettled space of not moving towards your potential and moving towards your goal. So yes, it solves a problem with the discomfort of perfectionism, but it doesn't solve the heart of the problem, which is that we wanna be able to strive and fail and get back up. That's the problem we solve for perfectionists. Right, so this brings me to my next question then. And this question has passed through my mind before because I myself do struggle with perfectionism. And the question is, is perfectionism really such a bad thing? Because, you know, reflecting back on my days in high school and then through medical school, it has helped made me a really good student and then medical student and then really good doctor, I guess, to an extent, because then I produce really amazing results with what I do. Um, so if perfectionism really can be problematic, like you described, how would I change that in such a way that still doesn't impact on my performance negatively? I love this question, Dana, because this is what after I myself got coached, this is what I got to the bottom of too. I had this belief that my perfectionism was firstly like my edge, that this was the reason that I was successful. This was the thing that was holding me together and like it's making me see all of those things that could go wrong, make a mitigation plan for everything that could go wrong. It would mean that I wouldn't step out into an opportunity until I was ready. And I could nail it, you know, that was what I thought that the edge that perfectionism was giving me. And even once I took that off, we'll talk about that. But the next layer of it for me was that I actually thought that there's one part of me that was like, sometimes I just wish I could be peaceful and happy. I wish I could just feel confident even with all my flaws. But the belief under that was that my perfectionism was necessary because if I was confident that I would be blind to my flaws and I would maybe even at worst become arrogant or inconsiderate of what was going on around me. And I thought that if I was content as opposed to being perfectionistic and diligent to my, my flaws and weaknesses, that I would just do nothing. I thought that, well, if I'm a happy person, why would I do anything ever? Like I would just sit down and stop striving. So, I mean... That took me a long time and it's what made me hold into my perfectionism too. And I can get a bit, um, I'll give you some, a tangible little glimpse into what my life was when I was heavily in that perfectionistic mode because only when I saw how those thoughts led to those emotions, which led to those behaviours, a bit of CBT. I know you've just done your GP fellowship exams, Dana. Yes. <laughs> so the thought emotion behavior cycle that we, we learn about in cognitive behavioral therapy, when I actually put my perfectionism thoughts in that thought line and then looked at the emotions that they were creating, then I could see the behaviors that my perfectionism was creating. Then I could see that I was actually a good doctor, student, whatever, 
despite or in spite of all the barriers that my perfectionism was creating. So let me just, I'll tell you what my morning routine was as a perfectionist. We're obsessed with morning routines. I love myself a good morning routine. This was not a good morning routine. So I would wake up anxious, worried about my ability to live up to my expectations for that day. I would already be tired because I stayed up late the night before because I, quote, didn't get enough done. I would, the first thing I would do is criticize my body, if I'm honest, because my perfectionism had no bounds. How you do one thing is how you do everything. And the second thing that I would do is I would overbook, I would overschedule, put twice as much stuff in my calendar that day to make up for my shortcomings for the day before. So, there's some thoughts, there's some emotions in there too, but after that, I would be left with emotions of frustration, inadequacy, urgency, impatience, pressure, dread, guilt, disgust, rushed, scarce. Here are all my emotions in the first 20 seconds of my day, right? My feet haven't even hit the floor yet, and I am in this stress response. And this is, I mean, it's a very extreme uh, example that I can kind of pick these thoughts explicitly out of my brain, but I, I wasn't hearing those thoughts at the time. I wasn't, I wasn't explicitly hearing these sentences in my head. It was only when I started to journal and started to get coached and speak out loud and have to talk about why am I feeling pressure right now? Why am I feeling rushed? Why am I feeling urgency? that's when I found all these explicit thoughts. I was totally unaware that this was happening. It's not like I woke up in the morning and I was like, okay, for my morning routine, I'm going to worry, ruminate, criticize, and overschedule. It was just what my brain offered me. So this is really the, that's the judgment piece of the perfectionism that you see coming out. This is very different to somebody who has high expectations and you know, they closed their day the day before and they woke up and they were like, okay, yesterday was what it was. And I'm not at my goal yet. I'm behind where I wanted to be, but here I go, charge on. So it's really, again, picking apart the difference between and recognizing in yourself whether you just have high expectations or whether you're beating yourself up. And that's hard because your thoughts aren't that obvious. You might just be walking around feeling like, you're in a rush or commonly people with perfectionism just walk around saying or thinking, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. What do you not have enough time for? What is so urgent? What do you need to get to? You need to get to proving yourself worth. <laughs> That's why it feels so urgent, right? <laughs> my goodness. I feel like you just described my whole life. It's as though <laughs> I had lived like a very similar life to you. I'm just like, how did you know that's what I've been living. <laughs> it's so typical, isn't it? And it sounds shocking. Even when I say these things out loud, I'm like, wow, that is shocking. But it's so common. And we just speak to ourselves in these ways all the time. It's, it's classic perfectionism. It's subconscious and it's habitual. It's just flying under the radar with us. And what about for those of the listeners who are saying, well, I'm not really a perfectionist and, you know, self-doubt is something that happens to everyone, regardless of 
whether they're perfectionists or not, some to more of a, or lesser of an extent than others. So perfectionists more typically do experience more self-doubt. How does one go about overcoming self-doubt, you know, especially if they've been feeling like it's been holding them back from reaching their full potential? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I, I agree, self-doubt is normal. Self-doubt is a helpful function that we have. I think we need to separate out again, and you can use that cognitive behavioral therapy model to say, to look at what the purpose of doubt is. The purpose of doubt is to get our attention. It's like an alarm bell, the emotion that it brings up in our body. But is doubt really where we want to take action and solve a problem from? Or is its only job really just to get our attention, make us pay more attention to the environment that's possibly posing a threat, something that we need to do to protect ourselves? So I think a, a healthy, useful self-doubt is just that alarm bell. But then somebody who orientates to looking as objectively as humanly possible, because we're all biased, our emotions are very compelling, but as objectively as humanly possible at the problem. And then quickly switching, I'm talking like within 90 seconds, you switch out of that low mode of doubt into a curious mode, a problem-solving mode, a focus mode, back into a calm, really um, intelligent mode. We're not intelligent when we're doubting and dreading and all those emotions that come with it. So I think people get a bit confused thinking that the doubt itself is intelligent, but it's really just a really primal basic alarm bell, just like fear. It, it really is similar to fear. It's trying to say this is a problem, but then we want to switch. We want to get out of doubt and solve the problem from a different place. So I like this question because Firstly, I'm impressed with this person who's aware that perhaps the self-doubt is, isn't useful and maybe it's holding them back. And within this question, there's also this interesting underlying the question. We're sort of saying, how can we let go of something that is supposedly hurting us, which should be effortless? If we really believed that the self-doubt or the perfectionism was hurting us, then it would be easy to let go of. So we've got to acknowledge that within that question, there's still that like wanting to hold on to the perfectionism. But also really interestingly, there is a reason that the perfectionism is something that you want to keep. It's just not what you think. If you are a true perfectionist, if you are having this perfectionism that's beating you up and holding you back, it's actually still serving you. And what it's doing is it's keeping us safe. It's keeping us in our zone of not usually comfort, especially for medical people, like we're good at getting out of our comfort zone. But what we're not good at doing is getting out of our competent zone. So we have this space, right, that we, we are high achievers, we work hard, we take excellent care of our patients, and we are not going to potentially put our patients at risk, put ourselves at risk of hurting our reputation, anything like that, right? Where we are, I don't think we're stuck in comfort. I think we're stuck in competence though, because you've got to look at what you're missing out on. I mean, everyone in medicine has already proven that they're, you know, highly intelligent, capable, resourceful people. And a lot of us have dedicated our lives solely to medicine up until this point. And what I found just chatting around to people, bouncing around hospitals, for all of us, we get to this stage where we're like, okay, what else? 
what else? Like I've finished, done my specialty. I've been through these brutal exams. I've proven myself here. I'm an excellent doctor to my patients and what else? So overcoming self-doubt is really a matter of being willing to part with that comfort and that safety that the perfectionism gives you and acknowledging that that's why you're keeping the perfectionism, not because you want to be perfect, but you're keeping it because it's keeping you in that safe, competent zone. And then really genuinely asking yourself, what else do I want? Because I think this is in our nature that we always want to grow. So even Dana, after finishing your fellowship exams, which is the top, it's everything, right? You are, you are done in everyone's eyes. This is where we're all striving to. I have no doubt that within six to 12 months, you're going to be like, oh, what about this next adventure? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> and look at you, you're already jumping back onto a podcast series, right? We just, we... We, we, we get comfortable in our space and then we start to get this little, this tickle again. I think it's in our nature. So we have to be aware of what our self-doubt, our perfectionism is doing for us so that we can actually make a better decision. And I think that is one thing that you can look at yourself, like getting really honest. Like it's not because I want to be excellent or better or bigger. It's because I'm keeping myself safe and I don't want to beat myself up when I do something wrong. And then... I think that really hard question that we don't want to ask ourselves to overcome our self-doubt is to look at what it's costing us. So that's what we're getting from it. We're getting that comfort, but what's it costing us? What are we holding ourselves back from? And I think a good way to think about this is if you weren't bogged down by those doubting, critical, inadequate, scared feelings that come with perfectionism, if instead you were already feeling confident, capable, determined, indestructible, valuable, worthy, compassionate, if you right now in your life, you were already feeling all those things, what would you be doing? If you knew you're indestructible, what would you be doing? And that shows you what your perfectionism is costing you because you can't feel those feelings when you're thinking like a perfectionist. And I mean, I guess I should say in that answer, I, this is what a coach does. This is what we do in coaching. We help you answer these complicated questions where you think you want something, but either your actions aren't lining up or there's some confusion in your head that's kind of keeping you stagnating. We help you get that clarity and line up your motivation in the right space and just kind of help you talk back to yourself. I always think about coaching like it's like, me and the client, and then we've got this whiteboard and we're just looking at your brain together. Like, I don't give advice. That's not what a coach does. A coach, I, I'm not going to tell you what next adventure to take or, I mean, what's a good or a bad thing, but we're just like spending a bit of time trying to like deconstruct and organize your brain so you can be like, oh, that's actually what I think. That's actually what I want. Oh, I see that I'm holding myself back there, you know? Amazing. Thank you so much. That was a lot of nuggets of wisdom in there. And I practically felt like I just had a free therapy session from you just there, just listening. It was therapeutic. So thank you so much, Dr. Beck, for sharing your knowledge. And um, for those of you who are interested in learning more, you can always reach out to Dr. Beck. Um, she is on Instagram as Dr. Beck. And we hope you have enjoyed this episode. <laughs>